scripture reading tonight is from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We're in a series entitled Leave Your Mark, and the call is to have an influence on people, to impact others in the name of Jesus. Uh, we call our church family uh, to be disciples and make disciples, not because we think that's valuable, but because we think that's what Scripture calls us to do. And so as we think about this series and the places we have influence, we're thinking about how can we be disciples and make disciples in our different contexts. Essentially, this series is also trying to help us to think about our legacy. How will you be remembered? How will people talk about you? And if you're like me, I don't really enjoy this question. Um, not necessarily because I'm worried about what people might say, but I don't really like thinking about being gone. Right? I would, I'd rather be here. Uh, being gone doesn't, doesn't sound that great yet. Um, one of the ways that we remember people and remember their legacy is gravestones. So I'm not trying to get super morbid here. Uh, but uh, this is a quick line on a lot of different, uh, on, on different gravestones that help you understand who we remember this person to be. I have a couple that are somewhat humorous for you. Uh, the first is a guy named Mel Blanc. If you know the Looney Tunes, you know that he uh, voiced many of the Looney Tunes figures, including Bugs Bunny, and uh, if you can see it up there, it says, that's all, folks, um, which is true of his career, but also true of himself. Um, so uh, the second one, I'm not even sure how to feel about this, but go ahead and put it up there. Uh, it is Mom's Christmas Cookies on the back of a gravestone. Um, I don't know if that's a life well lived or not. Uh, I'm sure it made a memory. Uh, I also wondered like, if this was <clears throat> some kind of inside joke amongst them. Like, My guess is the Christmas cookies were bad and they just like, tolerated them. And then they left it here for everyone to be like, oh, those must have been amazing. I'm going to recreate those. And they just mess with a bunch of people. Uh, possibly. That's how mine, my, my mind works. Don't judge me. Um, all right, and then last, we don't see this person's name. I think this is the back, but I think this is amazing. Raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom, and still there was love. That's amazing. Good work. Good work. How will you be remembered? In the youth group, we do prayer stations oh, every few years, and just trying to help our students think about different ways to encounter God through prayer, and we have them do different activities. And one of the activities that we do pretty regularly is to have them fill out their gravestone and to answer the question, how do you want to be remembered? When you're gone, what do you want other people to say about you? And then after they fill it out, we encourage them, okay, now that you've thought about the person that you want to be and that you think God has called you to be, spend some time in prayer asking God to use his spirit to make you into that person that, that he wants you to be. Um, mine, I've done this 
quite a few times, and mine is always pretty similar. It's uh, Jeremy Robertson loved God, loved his family, taught others about Jesus. That's what I want other people to say about me when I'm gone. And so if, I'm gonna, if other people are going to say that about me, I need to be doing those things. As we get our teens to do this exercise, they a lot of times like our other prayer stations, but they struggle with this because the idea of a legacy for our teenagers is way too far off. The idea of being remembered, that's way too far off. And they don't like that idea of being gone. It's hard for them to wrap their minds around how people will remember them. But you know this about a legacy. Legacies are not shaped eventually. We don't eventually shape our legacy. We shape our legacies daily. Legacies are shaped by daily commitment to your highest values. Whatever your highest values are, they need to define your life. And if we were to go through the exercise, and you should do this at some point, list your priorities and then rank them. What are the things that you value? And then make sure you put them in in priority order. And then ask yourself, does my life reflect that these are the things that are most valuable to me? We're in church, so we know the right answer for the first priority is God, right? The right answer is faith. That's number one. And then most of us, I think, would put family at number two, acknowledging that if I love God, my family, I need to be loving them as well. those Those are intertwined. We understand those together. Faith and family, those are our two top priorities. And the question of this evening is, as people remember you and as people think of you, would they say those are your priorities? It's easy to, it's easy for you to state, no, those are my highest values. But would others, from watching you, would they say, that faith is your top priority and that your family comes right after that? I hope so. What kind of legacy are you leaving your children, your grandchildren, your siblings? By looking at your life, would others say that faith is your top priority and family follows closely after? The call of this evening is to leave your mark on your family. When I was getting my degree in family ministry at OC, there was one verse that came up over and over and over again. Uh, it was going to be part of every single paper that you wrote. It was Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. <clears throat> Hunter read it for us just a second ago. We're going to read it again, but a little bit of context. So we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6, but in Deuteronomy 5, just beforehand, we get the Ten Commandments, which is monumental. This is huge for Israel and their identity. This is how God says, I'm a holy God you're unholy people, this is how you be in relationship with me. A total game changer in how uh, the nation of Israel relates to God. This is a massive moment. How do you follow that up? What do you say after you receive those Ten Commandments? Well, you say this. Moses is going to call them to a life committed to the commandments and to the God revealed in those commandments. The section that we're going to read, it's often referred to as the Shema, which is literally just the word listen in Hebrew. Listen. And that's how it starts. It says, hear, O Israel, listen. Um, And it's almost like, okay, 
you just got hit with these Ten Commandments, and, and those are huge concepts, and, and that's good. Try to own those. But then Moses is almost like going, okay, okay, let me have your attention again. While you're wrapping your mind around those, hang with me right here. Listen. And he says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Israel finds identity in this. Israel finds identity in the Lord, our God. He is one. And that is our God. That comes straight from the Ten Commandments. It's a continuation of the Ten Commandments. And then they're instructed to love God with all their heart, soul, and strength. Uh, prepping for this lesson, and, and I'm sure you've encountered this as you've read through um, different writings about Deuteronomy 6. There's a lot of work done to delineate what is trying to be conveyed by heart, soul, strength. It's almost like, okay, let's talk about what it means to love God with our whole heart. All right, and if we can wrap our minds around that, then we can do that. And then let's talk about what it looks like to love God with our, our whole soul. What would it look like if we did that? Okay, let's do that. And then let's wrap our mind around what it looks like to love God with our whole strength, every, all of our strength. What would that look like, and how do we do that? And if we can understand all three, then we can go and be faithful. And I think those, that's a good, positive exercise. But if you get caught up in that too much, you miss the point, which is simply this. Everything about you, your heart, your soul, your strength, everything about you, commit that to God. Commit that to loving God. Your life should be committed to living out his commandments and loving God. This is central to what it means to be a follower of Yahweh at this time, right, in, in Deuteronomy 6. This is so central to the identity of Israel that later Judaism decided that this text was to be recited by all Jews in the morning and the evening, and that this was where they were going to find identity. That the Lord is one, and they're there to love him, and they're there to pass that on. So they find that identity in the way that they pray, but then also, in order to preserve that identity, Moses gives them instruction. He says... Pass it along. His words are, impress them on your children. This is where the family ministry element comes in. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. There's no debating that in Scripture, the primary place for discipleship and growth, where you're supposed to first hear about God and develop your faith, that's at home. The primary place where faith is supposed to be grown is at home. The scripture always talks about it that way. Are there other contexts where we grow in our faith? Absolutely. Of course. But the primary place is at home. In our youth ministry, whenever we talk to parents, the language that we use is that we want to be a supplement to the things that are happening at home. We realize the primary discipleship, the primary ministry is happening at home, and all of our activities and all of the important things that we do are meant to reinforce what is happening 
at home. We want to be a supplement to that. And, and this text, just it calls you to that holistic approach. When you're at home, talk to your family about faith. When you're traveling, talk to your family about faith. When you go to bed, talk to your family about faith. When you wake up, talk to your family about faith. Everything that you do, make that centered around faith. Your family life should be centered around faith. As I was thinking about who did this well, um, I want to tell you about uh, Bobby and Wilma Bates. So uh, I have a picture of them and their family. It's probably, oh, it's not too bad. I was worried it was going to be real grainy. But um, So this is Bobby and Wilma and their three children. Uh, Bobby grew up not in church. He went intermittently, but certainly wasn't committed. Uh, whenever he joined the service, he uh, dropped out of church completely. Um, he had a very mundane, we'll call it boring job uh, in the service. His responsibility was to have his commanding officer's vehicle ready at all times, gassed up, ready to go, clean, and then he was his chauffeur. So obviously there were seasons where he was really busy, and then there were times where Bobby just sat around a lot, waiting. And he wanted to use that time constructively, so he decided he was going to learn how to type. He was going to teach himself how to type. And mostly out of availability, not because he was interested in what was in it, he chose, all right, I'll read the Bible, I'll type it. And while Bobby was typing on a piece of paper, God was writing those words on his heart. And he wound up deciding, okay, this is something I need to commit myself to. So he decides to be a committed follower of Jesus and took it another step further. I'm going to tell others about Jesus. He became a minister. Um, and he meets this pretty girl named Wilma. They end up getting married, and uh, they become a force for the kingdom. They were missionaries together. They worked at numerous churches uh, and had a countless number of people through their home that were a force for the kingdom. They did so much with other people, but they always made sure that they took care of their primary responsibility of discipling their three kids. Uh, they were always talking about church. They were always trying to help them memorize scripture. Uh, at breakfast, they would read the Bible together. Um, the, uh, Bobby would read, and you had to pay attention because there were questions at the end. There was no zoning out. You were in trouble if you missed something. So you had to be attentive, which is a challenge for some of us in the morning. Uh, but uh, you'll see up there, they had one daughter. Her name is Vicki. Uh, Vicki went on to marry a guy named Steve. I have a picture of their family. Um, so uh, Steve and Vicki built a house that was committed on Jesus as well. Um, and they used their home to have small groups regularly in there. They were committed to, to church and bringing their family to church. Um, and you might have put it together, but I was a beneficiary of that. Um, that kid in the uh, floral clip-on tie, guilty, that's me. Uh, I don't know if adult clip-on ties are a thing, but if they are, let me know. That, those were the days. Um, I, am, I am so thankful for the faith of Bobby and Wilma Bates and their commitment to pass along faith to their children. And because of that, my mom owned that faith in Jesus. And my dad was a Christian as well. And they built a house centered on Christ. And I was blessed by that as they passed that on to me. And now I, I'm not, I don't have a, like, oh, look at my kid's picture. Uh, but 
now Ashley and I have the responsibility to pass on, that on to our two boys. And I can't, I can't tell you how thankful I am that my parents and their parents made it a priority to pass along faith. I am a Christian today partially because my parents made it a priority to pass along faith. I think that was God's design. You get to decide how your house is going to be run. You get to decide if Jesus is going to be at the center of it. It, it seems like you have to mention Joshua 24:15 in this conversation. Joshua 24:15 says, "But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord." Joshua says, I cannot control you. I can't decide what your household is going to look like. I can't decide if you're going to be influenced by a culture or other religions, whatever. I'm, I can't decide those things. I can decide for my family, though, for my household. And as far as it, as far as it concerns me, I'm going to be committed to the Lord and my house is going to be committed to the Lord. I pray that we will make a similar commitment. I didn't want to just talk theory. I wanted to just, I wanted to have a moment of talking application, uh, and so we'll do that in just a second. But I do want to say, uh, the application of these things I'm about to mention is going to look different for every family, because for every family we have in here, we, the, everyone is unique. The, we have so many different versions of what family looks like in here, and so many different dynamics. So I'd encourage you to take these kind of just principles and apply them uh, within your family context, the way that it makes the most sense. And then I also want to remind you, Discipleship within the family is never, is never over. Discipling your family to be more like Jesus is a lifelong commitment. This doesn't end when you're an empty nester. Those of you who have adult children, you still have a responsibility to help them grow in their faith. You also might have grandkids. You need to help them grow in their faith. Uh, those of you who are married, you have a responsibility to help disciple your spouse. Those of you who aren't married, you still have family. You still have a responsibility to your siblings or to your nieces or nephew or your, even your adult parents to help them be more like Jesus. We all have family, and we all have a responsibility to our family to help them grow in their faith. And so here are just a few areas that I think we can grow in. The first one is obvious, but I think it needs to be stated. If you want to pass along faith to your family, you need to be present. If you are going to let them know your values and let them know that Christ is the center of your life, they need to see it, and they need to see it with you present. It is a contradiction of stated values if you say faith and family are first, but then you find your identity in your work and you spend more of your mental time there than you do with your family. We can't, we can't let our identity be wrapped up there. And can you honor God in your work? Absolutely, you should. He puts you in that place for a reason, to influence others. But don't ever let that be an opportunity to neglect your responsibility to your family to disciple them. I think that is obvious, but also I think it needs to be stated. Hopefully, if you were to ask You'd have to put truth serum in your family, which is, I don't think that's real. We'll see. Uh, if you know about that, tell me. Uh, so this, if you were able to really get to where your family 
what they really thought of you. It would be interesting to hear what they said your highest priorities were. They know that they would hurt your feelings if they said anything other than faith and family, right? Uh, so that's probably what they would answer. But do some self-reflection and think, how would my kids talk about my priorities? And would they say faith and family are, are one and two? And if not, you have some changes to make in your actions. Second, if you're going to pass along faith to your family, you need to read scripture together. This seems obvious, but this is not easy. If, if you've ever tried to do this with your family, you know that there's never a convenient time. There's never a time that works for everybody, uh, and to, to set that aside is very difficult and has to be a collective commitment. But you need to pick a time where you can talk about God's word with your family. Your family needs to hear you talk about what you read in Scripture. You need to hear them talk about what they read in Scripture. And you need to challenge each other in that way. If you don't have time to tear through big sections of Scripture, or if you have little kids, just do a verse a day. And ask your kids, ask your family, what does this look like for us? What comfort do you find in this passage? How does this look like in real life? I'd like to see somebody try this and, and share what it would look like. If you don't live with your family members and you want to disciple them, try getting on the same Bible reading plan. Just commit. Hey, we're going to read this plan together, and so we're going to hold each other accountable. But more than that, when we're talking, I'll know what you're reading, you'll know what I'm reading, and it'll be easy to just bring up, man, I was reading about Zacchaeus the other day, and man, I'm so challenged by his story. It's easy conversation if you know you're both reading the same thing. But if we're going to disciple our, our families to be more like Christ, we, it has to be centered around God's word. If you're going to disciple your family to be more like Christ, if you're going to pass along faith, you need to pray together. You learn so much about somebody by praying with them. You learn about what they care about. We pray with Judah every night, and lately we've learned that Judah cares about his curtains. Uh, it may be that he just loved curtains, uh, but it could be that the curtains are literally right next to his bed and he tries to work his way through the room and thank God for everything. Um, but curtains has been pretty popular lately. Uh, but also something that is nearly always present in Judah's prayers is Judah prays for his brother Ryder. He loves Ryder and he wants to thank God for Ryder and as a father I obviously love that. I'll, I've, I'll never forget the time in college where Ashley and I were praying together um, and I had prayed first, and I don't remember what it was about. But I distinctly remember it was, a, it was a cold day, raining, and the way that she opened her prayer was, God, please be with those who don't have shelter today. It's a tough day to be outside. I learned a lot about Ashley in that moment, because I had prayed about what was on my heart, and it was probably just me that I prayed about. Uh, but she had a heart for those on the edges, those who were marginalized, those who were not provided for. It's so good to hear other people pray because you get a glimpse into their relationship with God and what they care about. So you need to hear your family pray. But also, they need to hear you pray over them. Do it out loud. I know that if you have kids, you are praying for your kids. Let them hear it. Let them hear you offer a prayer over them where you say, God, help my child grow in relationship with you. Help them to be faithful. Help them to love you. 
They need to hear those prayers because that's whenever they're going to hear that faith is a priority and that you want to pass that on. And then finally, and find opportunities to serve together. If you want to pass along faith, you need to serve alongside your family. This is basically taking theory into practice. They need to see you live out faith uh, in real life. My dad was never the type to preach a sermon at us. If we got in trouble, it wasn't going to be a quotation of scripture or anything like that. Um, So we didn't get to hear about my dad's faith that way. But I love serving and continue to love serving alongside my dad. Um, That's whenever I really see him thrive and when I get to see him live out his faith. Uh, One of the things I love and appreciate most about my dad is he treats everybody the same. Uh, He could be with a CEO and he has the same value of the CEO as he does with the homeless person. He just, he sees them the same, which is awesome because I think that's how God sees people. Um, And I really appreciate that about my dad. He talks to them the same, gives them the same dignity and value. Uh, I got to see this in my dad whenever I was in high school. He probably, it probably didn't register as important to him, but it was important to me. uh, And I probably should tell him so because I don't know that I ever have. But uh, he, I had a friend over to the house his name was David. David was um, a foster child. He was being fostered by a family that didn't have much uh, to provide for him, and he didn't have much. And so I, I would be surprised if David had two pairs of shoes. Uh, the one that he was wearing were totally worn out. And my dad didn't try to draw any attention to himself, but just asked, you know, David, what size shoes do you wear? Happened to be the same size. And David went home with my dad's pair of tennis or basketball shoes that he had just bought. And it wasn't a showy thing, it wasn't to get attention, but David was super pumped about his new basketball shoes. And I was going, huh, okay, my, my dad cares about, about people who can't provide for themselves. I see Christ in that. Let your kids see you serve. Let them see your faith in action. There are a million ways that you can serve alongside your family. Our congregation has a ton of ways you can come and put food boxes together in our pantry. You can uh, go visit shut-ins for last day or uh, last Sunday visitation. You could take them on a mission trip, but find opportunities to serve alongside your family. That's so necessary to pass along faith. Those are just sim- simple ways to make sure that you prioritize this, and it'll look different for every family. But we have to make sure we're passing along faith. I think possibly one of the saddest verses in Scripture is found at the beginning of Judges. God has just brought Israel into the promised land and done amazing things in order to make that happen. And that whole generation is able to say, we would never be here if not for God. We can see God's fingerprints all over this, and, and God is worthy of praise for that. But the problem is, they didn't tell their kids. And so we get uh, Judges 2.10, reads like this, after that whole generation that got to witness all of the great things that God did, after that generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That's so sad. May that never be said of us. May that not be the case. May we be passing along faith to our families and bringing them along in our journey of faithfulness. I started off with a little bit of a morbid conversation about uh, gravestones and legacy. Uh, we're going to kind of wrap back around to that. But um, 
if we're thinking about legacy and somebody who did this well, uh, I want to say something about Alan Trimble. Um, Alan Trimble was the head coach for the Jinx Trojans. Uh, if you're even remotely familiar with high school football in the state of Oklahoma, you know who Alan is. Uh, while he was coaching Jinx, they won 13 state championships out of his 22 years. That's insane. Uh, in 22 years, he amassed 242 wins, which again is ridiculous. Uh, and he was a busy man. He wore a lot of hats. Uh, he was a teacher. He was an athletic director. He was a head coach. Um, one of his favorite roles, though, was a shepherd. He was a shepherd at the Park Church of Christ in Tulsa. But his foremost identity, his foremost hat that he wore was he was a disciple of Christ, and because of that, he was a father who wanted to pass along faith to his kids. Alan lost his battle with ALS uh, and died this past week, and at his funeral, uh, there were over 4,000 people there. Uh, he had obviously influenced a ton of people. Um, they had to have the funeral at ORU's gym, and even then there was standing room only. So the amount of people this man touched is, is amazing. And dignitaries get up and talk. Um, super important people are present to say, Alan was an amazing man. And every person gets up and says, Alan was a man of integrity. Alan was a man that loved Jesus. Alan was a man that took care of people. And all of those were eloquent speakers, and they did great. But the most powerful speaker was the one towards the end. It was his daughter, Tori. She got up and essentially said, all of those things that were said about my dad are true. You could see her get up, and it, you could understand after all of those people had seen Alan work in all of those roles, you could almost see the narrative where she gets up and says, I'm glad that my father made an impact on you, but he was so busy with you that we didn't see him much. But that wasn't the case. Instead, she got up and said, my dad was always available to us. I'm glad he impacted you, but I knew that we had priority. Alan was always going to be available to his family. And he was always going to make sure that his family loved God and served God with him. At the end of, uh, the, or at the end of her words, she said uh, this right before, uh, or excuse me, right after Alan passed. Um, this is what she said. Moments after my dad passed, the doctor told us we could spend as much time with my dad as we wanted. But my mom's sister and I stood up and said, he isn't here anymore. We know where he is now. And he was ready to be there. And later, they said, because of his training, we'll see him there soon. Alan was a wonderful example. Sorry, my voice is quivering because I think that's awesome. I think that's so powerful. Like, that's the father that I want to be. <clears throat> all right. We're good. I'm good. We're all good, right? Okay. Um, <clears throat> May that be true of all of our families in all of our contexts. May our families know that our biggest priority is our faith and passing that along and bringing them with us to Christ. All right. Shift. Let's, let's be a church, and I'm not talking about just the Edmund Church, but the church as a whole, that, that is not so focused on making an impact in the world 
that we lose sight of our homes. All of those things in the world are awesome and powerful, and we need to be out there doing those things, but if we miss our homes, then we miss one of our primary callings. So let's make sure that our homes love God and keep his commands. We're going to end with an invitation. If, uh, if you have any needs, we want to be a church that walks alongside you. I can tell you this is a praying church. We're a church committed to praying for one another and walking alongside each other in faith and in life. So if you have any kind of concerns that you want to bring before the church, we want to pray for you. Maybe you say, or maybe you want to come forward and say, I haven't made family a priority like I should, and I want to ask God for strength as I do that. Or maybe this whole idea of being a disciple, that's not something you've started yet. And uh, you want to start that this evening. We believe that that begins in the waters of baptism. And so if you have not become a disciple, we would like to help you do that this evening. Whatever your need is, would you please come forward as we stand and sing?